Hello there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast. Joe, it's great to be here with you. I'm here with Joe Weber, who's an Ayurvedic practitioner and teacher, and also is head of education at Pucker, and runs the Ayurveda Academy, where you can sign up to learning about the introduction to Ayurveda really and some of the journey to becoming a professional practitioner. So it's great to be with you Joe. It's lovely to be here. So I'd love to just have a chat about your career and about what it takes to become an Ayurvedic practitioner. So tell us a bit how you got into Ayurveda. How did you start the journey? I came to learn about Ayurveda through yoga, which I think is a really quite a lot of people take. Um, they are um, sister sciences, but yoga is still a lot better known than Ayurveda. Um, again, I also came to it through my own health issues, which is, I think, how a lot of people discover more holistic healthcare. Um, so I was a bit frazzled and unbalanced after working in ethical finance in the city. And I initially went down the TCM route and had acupuncture, which was really helpful. Uh, but then I learned about Ayurveda and the doshas um, through training to be a yoga teacher. And I was hooked immediately uh, because of how empowered it made me feel. I knew I needed to get rid of some heat in my system and cool down. And I knew I needed to ground and earth my system because what's known as vata dosha was completely deranged, uh, which I know you'll, you'll know what I mean by that. Uh, so it was definitely <laughs> through, through the tradition of yoga. And I also went to India. And uh, I worked in a Shivananda ashram and taught there. And um, I came across an amazing Ayurvedic practitioner in Cochin, where they trade the black pepper. And I didn't really know much about Ayurveda at this stage. Um, and I was with a friend who was recovering from cancer. And uh, he really didn't speak much English and we didn't speak much of the local dialect, but he read our pulses. And I, I, I thought either you're a, a, a magician or this is a science that's pretty amazing because he felt there was no longer any cancer cells in my friend's uh, blood. And she'd had um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she didn't really have any scars, but he said, you've had cancer in the throat neck region. You've gone through early menopause. He diagnosed exactly what had happened, but he said, there's no more cancer cells in your system. And that was 20 years ago. And she's still in remission. Mm. And that was an incredibly mm. moving experience for her. And then for me, he, he read my VATA derangement. He said, you talk a lot, excessive talkativeness, uh, air in your belly and I had really bad bloating at the time and pain in my neck and shoulders and I never told a GP about these things because they weren't things you'd go to a GP about but I was definitely out of balance and and he got all of that from a quick pulse reading and I think when you have an experience that that profound uh, you're prepared to commit your life to studying something. Oh how amazing that sounds so um it was out of necessity, but also in that search, you also got totally inspired by the sound of things through, you know, experiencing something very profound. So then what did you do? You went on to study at college, did you? So I was already a yoga teacher, um, which helped because a lot of the Ayurvedic texts, um, the original texts are obviously all in Sanskrit. Um, but I found a three year 
um, BSc in Ayurveda, which was offered, it was at Middlesex University and then it went private and it was called Manipal Ayurvedic University of Europe. Um, it's no longer um, operating, but I did manage to do a three-year um, BSc, which is quite hard to do now. It's much more of a case of finding shorter, more flexible courses, um, much as has happened with Western herbalism degrees. I think there's only one three-year course left at Lincoln College now. Um, but I did manage to do a three-year course which had a six-month internship in India. So I can't um, overemphasize the importance of the practical element of, of Ayurveda. You can't really just learn it online or through a book. It, it really does need to have a little bit of a practical element. So we were in two different clinics in India and I've since gone back to do my own independent study in India. So, so that, was, that was my training really. And uh, that was in Ayurveda. I've since been enjoying studying Western herbalism to bring it back home, if you like, because as wonderful as Ayurveda is, it's mainly centered on herbs grown in India, sourced from India, and living in Somerset, as I do, surrounded by dandelion and wild garlic and hawthorn blossom at this time of year. Um, I really wanted to learn how to look and use those herbs through the Ayurvedic lens. Um, so I've been enjoying really immersing in, in Western herbalism. I did the Hartwood Foundation course recently, which is a fantastic course. So, uh, yeah, bringing Ayurveda back to Somerset really now is my focus. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, you know, Charaka, one of the original early authors in Ayurveda, always talks about how you can use the principles of Ayurveda in, anywhere in the world and you can then apply them to your local plants and diet and climate. So what does it take to become an Ayurveda practitioner, really, Joe? Uh, so for me, I, I was coming as a yoga teacher and um, I looked around, I trained with the Shivananda yoga tradition. And um, I'll, I'll tell a story about how not to become an Ayurveda practitioner first, maybe, which is I did sign up to do an Ayurveda course with them, which was a month long in the Austrian Alps. And um, we learned how to cook some food, but it was very deep fried, very spicy food. We all got heartburn. Uh, obviously, I realized after that 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 wasn't Ayurvedic cooking. And in a month-long course on Ayurvedic nutrition, we didn't learn about the concept of ama, um, which is undigested matter or residue, which Ayurveda sees at the basis of most um, health problems and disease. Uh, so I did feedback afterwards, having signed up to a three-year Ayurveda BSE, that I felt this course could be re-termed, re maybe fun Ayurveda immersion, but definitely not an Ayurvedic nutrition advisor course. So I guess the watch out is there's a lot of courses out there um, claiming to be uh, offering Ayurveda nutrition or lifestyle training, um, but they might not be covering the basics. Uh, the course I did was a three-year BSc that had been at Thames Valley University and had gone independent. Um, it was called Manipal Ayurveda University. And it was a great course because it was three years. It was very thorough. We covered everything that needed to be covered. But unfortunately, um, as with most Western herbalism three-year degrees, it's no longer available. I think you can do an integrated degree at Middlesex, which has some Ayurveda still as part of the curriculum. But I guess the point is, it's, it's quite hard to do one of those three-year BSCs in Ayurveda now. It's all about finding short courses now, especially if you're an existing health practitioner, you can find some shorter courses um, to top up and learn. But for me, it was three years at a small Indian university based just by Bond Street Tube Station. All our teachers came over from India, so it felt very authentic. Uh, there was a lot of Sanskrit, a lot of learning Sanskrit, trying to read the original texts to get the, the verses, which, which was quite challenging. 
Um, and there was a real lack of good quality textbooks with, with modern images and modern colour, um, which my friends studying traditional Chinese medicine had. So that's my big sort of memory is, is just getting through the Sanskrit, um, not really having any good modern textbooks to correlate. But things are getting better now. Yeah, yeah, it does seem very developed, doesn't it? Chinese medicine has got a, a highly developed sort of academic um, as, as well as traditional strand that seems, you know, more in its infancy in Ayurveda in, in a way. Of course, there's lots of traditional texts, but that sort of more current scientific approach. Yeah, I think, I think you'll know what I'm talking about here. I'd love to hear your experiences, but studying Ayurveda isn't always straightforward. And we know that Charaka sometimes mixed up the verses when he was writing about something. So you had to have guidance to work through these texts. And it, it isn't always laid on a plate. You sometimes have to, to work quite a bit at it, just, just in a way that sometimes the Ayurvedic herbs aren't as easy to source as the TCM herbs, because we know the Chinese government is a little bit more organised at at sometimes growing and exporting um, Chinese herbs. Uh, but yeah, it was that an experience that, that you found studying Ayurveda. Is, it wasn't as straightforward sometimes as it could be. Yes, definitely. I mean, um, you had to really pick through the subjects that you wanted to learn. And uh, not that I'm here to talk about books I've written, but it's one of the reasons I wrote the book on Ayurvedic medicine that I wrote, to try and collate some of the information around the different plants, particularly that I picked out of lots of different texts, as well as adding in some of the sort of more modern insights. Yes, it is, it is a bit more um, eclectic in that sense, the approach to studying Ayurveda, unless, of course, you study in, in India or, or Sri Lanka or Nepal or something like that, where there is a you know, full-blown BAMS degree. Um, mm. But I, th I think that it relates to this idea that theory is great, isn't it? And the principles are there and they're clear, but really the application of it and the practice is where the real learning is and that practice like with so many things in life we learn from other people and we learn from from sitting with our parents or, or our teachers and so I think that direct contact is is crucial you know particularly when you're talking about things like you know palpation pulse taking um, learning the taste of the herbs learning dosage you know all of these things are you know you can't learn those from books you can get some inklings and some ideas and very usefully uh, uh, can adapt them but really I think it's that face-to-face. -face. Yes yes so the course I did had a six-month internship the the internship angle was really important to spend time in clinics in India um, but I actually built upon that um, spending time in clinics uh, with Sasha and Rebecca Kreese for example at Ayurveda in Brighton and spending time with Dr Ladd uh, because Ayurveda in India is also quite different to Ayurveda in the West as well, I found the people coming for problems in India, I wouldn't want to stereotype, but quite often it was mainly physical problems. There wasn't so much emotionally driven health problems um, that I saw. This was going back 15 years ago, and I think things have probably changed quite a lot in India. Um, whereas I think the people coming to seek Ayurvedic support in the West, quite often the emotions are quite a big part of the problem. It's not just they're eating too much spicy food and they've got heartburn, for instance. Um, so I think mm. it was really good to see Ayurveda practiced in its mother country and then modern interpretations of how Ayurveda is, is practiced here. And um, on the course that we offer, the Ayurveda Academy, we do um, recommend a Pukka Life. So we give them a copy of your book and we give them a copy of the Ashtanga Hridaya, the heart of Ashtanga texts. And that's lovely. So they've got the Sanskrit and then they've got an authentic modern interpretation. Uh, because I think it is really important to read some of the original texts when you study Ayurveda. 
um, just to get the, the poetry and the language and a sense of that. Um, but you couldn't just learn from that. It's really helpful to have those modern interpretations and, and particularly looking at um, Western herbs through the Ayurveda lens as well. Mm. I mean, how difficult was that getting to grips with some of the Sanskrit Ayurvedic terminology and uh, how informative is it when you, when you use it? Yeah, I loved Sanskrit, actually. I think it was my top mark in my end of year exams because I found it like a code. It's almost like a perfect code. It's phonetic. And any language in the world, you can translate into Sanskrit and vice versa. And I, I found that incredibly beautiful. And we had an amazing teacher called um, Dr. Professor Shastri, and he's died now, but he was um, an amazing teacher. And I think he was in his 70s, 80s when he was teaching us. So it was a real privilege to be taught by him. Um, and learned this code. I, I always used to write codes as a child in my diary. I had these amazing codes and I've, I've lost the, the source now. So I can't translate what I said when I was eight years old, which is frustrating. So um, I really loved Sanskrit, but I appreciate it's, it's not for everybody, but there's some great books out there. There's a book by an American chap called The Language of Ayurveda and The Language of Yoga. And that comes with a, a disc. It's probably all MP3 now. Um, so you can just listen because I, I think we probably both appreciate the power of, of mantra and correctly pronouncing certain words. Um, so I think if you want to take Ayurveda seriously in study, you do need to dip your toe in Sanskrit, but there's some great support out there. But you can also read modern interpretations from good sources, but I think you'd be missing out a little bit. Not, and, and certainly the students we have on our course, um, they may feel a little bit daunted, but once they start reading the texts and the translations, they... They do quite enjoy it. Uh, but as I say, for me, it helped coming from the yoga background because I'd, I'd learned a bit of Sanskrit to teach yoga. And again, I think if you want to be a yoga teacher, it really helps. There was a funny clip about how people pronounce namaste wrong. And it's the equivalent to us saying, enjoy your breakfast instead of enjoy your breakfast. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's namaste, not namaste. And um, it's just little yeah. things like that. I think it's respect for the tradition just to... Uh, it's like when you go to a country, you should be able to say please and thank you and maybe order a, a few things from the menu in that language just to show you've tried a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, the language is crucial in Ayurveda and it's so rich in terms of, you know, poignant in terms of the meaning behind the words. And so I'm interested in when you got into Ayurveda, um, I know you already had a bit of a touch from yoga, but how did you take to the completely different worldview that it seems to have from the world that, um, you know, we've both been brought up in when it starts looking at... Uh, doshas or the tissue states or you know that the world is built out of these elements and it, just you know let's explore a little bit around how Ayurveda uses or views anatomy and physiology and and how did you integrate that into your worldview? Yeah so I, th I think that there's quite a lot of philosophy which I did struggled with I, I like the Sanskrit but I really struggled with the Ayurvedic philosophy um, which was the first thing we studied, really. I know it's important, um, but I'm not a natural philosopher. All, all the different schools of Vedanta. And, um, but Kate, who I set up our course with, she really enjoyed that. So we've helped fill each other's gaps. So the philosophy wasn't so accessible. But as soon as we got onto the five element theory, this idea that everything in the universe is made up of these five core building blocks or elements, and then the doshas that led from it, we're all a little bit different. We've all got a different balance and then the concepts of Agni, the digestive fire and armour, it just clicked and made sense. Um, and had, having had digestive issues myself, I could really immediately start to add a little bit of black pepper to heavy foods to digest to support there. And 
I ate mainly raw food at university. I thought I was eating like a hunter-gatherer, but I ate all the wrong foods. Hence, <laughs> I had the bloated belly. I was eating five apples a day, raw food, maybe a few rice cakes. I mean, completely the wrong, wrong food for me. And mm. I got such quick results from making so few changes that I just respected that theory immediately and, and understood that it could help people not just when they've got chronic degenerative diseases, but help people in those early niggling, oh, this isn't quite right, what can I do to bring myself back into balance? Which is where I think Ayurveda is, is so, so powerful on the preventative side. So, mm. but the, yeah, you mentioned the anatomy and the physiology. Do you, do you mean sort of the, the tissue, the datus and... Yeah, just the whole experience of it. It's a different worldview and it's just so interesting you saying that, you know, you love the Sanskrit and that that opened up doors for you. So even though it's in you know, different language and different concepts, yet they're so tangible, the idea of hot and cold or wet and dry or, you know, once you know what the translation is and that you could immediately apply them from just a few simple lessons. And that, that, that always has inspired me about Ayurveda in terms of practising it clinically is that those insights, you can teach people very quickly in clinic and on a sort of pathology level, Ayurveda goes into all sorts of super detail, but it's that... Accessibility is one of the things I've always loved about it. Yeah, on our course, I was reminded the other day, um, I don't know if you used to play Othello, that, that board game, which is a bit like drafts, and the, the catch line <laughs> was, it's a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. And I really feel that about Ayurveda. If you have a good chat with someone for an hour, you can give them everything they need to put on their Ayurveda glasses and think, what, what should I have for lunch? What work should <laughs> I be doing? What partner should I be with? Which country is best for me You know, to go on holiday? Um, really basic things to quite profound things, all through just understanding those five elements. And like you say, hot, cold, wet, dry, um, snigda, oily. Uh, one thing with Sanskrit, though, is, is there isn't always just one word to translate. You get one, <laughs> one Sanskrit word and then there's 20 English words <laughs> that it could be. But in a way, that, that's the complexity there and um, the richness of it, really. But it isn't complicated to understand the basics. So that, 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 for me, is the beauty of it, really. Yeah. And you touched on uh, preventative health there. And I think, you know, Ayurveda's got such an interesting view of, of health and, and, and health promotion. And that always seems to be something that's so appealing about it. It's, you know, so much of it is to stop diseases. It's not just a medicine in the sense that you're just dealing with problems. It's to prevent them or push them a long way down the track, if possible. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure like me, you love it when people come, they say there's nothing major wrong. And you're like, OK, so we're not dealing with four or five chronic health conditions. But I've just got this, you know, skin rash or digestive issue or just this feeling of heaviness or malaise. And, you know, you can you can hear the Sanskrit, you know, the, the equivalence of this is the early stage one and two of disease before what's known as the doshas, which which cause the problems and armor has kind of gone deep into the tissues. And um, diet is massive in Ayurveda, and, and that's how I came to it, is through the cooking on yoga workshops and just getting people to see their kitchen spice racks and just see that they've got medicines there in their, in their kitchen. Um, and I, I love that proverb, isn't it? If the diet is right, there's no need for medicine. And if the diet is wrong, then medicines are no help. And I really spend the first two sessions really supporting on the diet. And quite often with a few people, once they've stopped eating their yogurt at 10 o'clock each night or eating fruit for pudding. I mean, how many people grew up having blueberries and yogurt as a healthy pudding, for instance? And once they've stopped that, suddenly the digestion settles and the skin clears up. So the diet is massive. Um, and getting people to really 
understand that because they're like, yeah, I know I should be eating healthily, but really getting to understand that if they eat a lot of, say, nightshades, then their arthritis pain can flare up again. Once they've got that, then that's hugely powerful. But then there's also the dinataria, the, the daily lifestyle advice and when when should we be doing our most physically and emotionally mentally demanding work when should we be relaxing and um, the lifestyle session we focus quite a lot on on how to work with nature's rhythms through the day and again once we start working with nature which is Ayurveda is all about the dance the connection with nature isn't it um, once people are tuned in a little bit more to say eating seasonally or, or working with the energy as it moves around the day, um, everything feels a little bit better. Symptoms tend to start to improve, particularly if they're sleeping better. I, I always think, along with diet, mm. if they're getting the right sleep, then that's another half of the medicine, really. Mm. Oh, I mean, everything you're saying is just sounds like you're just talking about the rhythms and cycles and patterns in nature in, in terms of that's what you're teaching your clients. And is this what you teach on your course? So we've, um, we've set up a 33-hour, so it's a bit longer than an hour, but we felt that in 33 hours or three-month online course, we could give people enough tools to start applying this to themselves, their friends, family, um, looking through the doshas and then um, looking through the seasons and, how, and the day and the diet and also the life stages. We haven't really touched upon this, but how you know children are vulnerable to certain conditions. And um, Kate and I, who set up the course, we've got six kids between us. And we, we are quite proud, we're not smug, that, that our kids haven't had this real mucus issue that so many children have. And I look after a lot of our people's children and quite often they have the perma stream of, of mucus. It's pretty common. Um, but things like, you know, cold dairy from the fridge without being bo boiled with spices and cold orange juice and fruit and yogurt, all of those things that kids do get a lot of. Um, people just learning how to look after their family as well in that childhood um, stage and then we're we're both in our adulthood stage how do we keep things ticking over and then as those age around me and, and I'm getting towards the third stage um, how we look after ourselves in the third age so um, it's quite an intense course there's a mixture of webinars and, and manuals and workbooks because again it, you, you've got to apply that that theory into practice and I'm always mm. driven by Swami Shivananda he said an, an ounce of practice is worth a ton of theory and sometimes it's much mm. easier to do the ton of theory, but, but we get so much more out of that ounce of practice. So that's the essence of our, of our introduction to course, mm. to Ayurveda. And then if you are um, wanting to go deeper, there's an applying Ayurveda, which is a six month course. And then once you've done that, you can apply to be a nutrition advisor or an Ayurveda yoga practitioner, but you have to be an existing health practitioner. So if someone is a mm. herbalist and they want to go deeper, um, or a yoga teacher and they want to learn more about Ayurveda, the door is open mm. there um, and we're working with the Ayurvedic Professionals Association, who's a fantastic first port of call if, if you are an existing practitioner who wants to find an Ayurveda course to complement your existing practice. Because it's, it's not easy now, there's no longer three-year BSc degree courses, recognised universities, but, but that's not always what people want if they're already practising some form of, of holistic health. Mm. Well, I'd love to hear a bit about your love of teaching and what you've learned along the way about how we learn as individuals or groups or society, if we're looking for a big change. But, you know, just generally some of the different techniques you might use or, or methods to help people 
experience some of the information that they're that they're learning. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty passionate. I love that um, Nelson Mandela said education is the most powerful weapon to change the world and. For me, it's really tailoring it to your audience. Um, I love, there's nothing I love more than going into a primary school classroom. And I, I trained as a primary school teacher because I, I loved education that much, but it was a bit of a distraction really because my true love is, is health and well-being and Ayurveda and yoga and herbs. Um, but I don't regret training to be a primary school teacher because if you can teach a class of 39-year-old kids, you could <laughs> probably teach any age group because uh, it, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done. Uh, but knowing your audience, really, and then tailoring what you're saying um, so that they can experience through the learning um, and changing the way they feel. I mean, you know the power of just giving people a simple um, massage practice or breath practice or a meditation as part of what you're doing. I'm always trying to bring the senses in. So if you, it's a face to face workshop, you know, have something they can smell, taste, taste, touch. Um, get that yeah. learning through the senses and that's a lot harder online which is um, online learning is a mixed blessing it's opened up a whole world of learners um, because really the whole world is your audience now if you tailor your course and market it um, but you miss that face-to-face -face, that connection and using the senses and things like that um, but I guess that would be know your audience um, bring in as many of the senses as well so people are learning on different levels yes get people talking to each other you're not the only expert in the room. So as, as much as possible, we always get people on our courses connecting in breakout rooms, sharing their practical experience. We learn so much from each other as well. Um, so those are probably some of the elements that we really try to bring into our course. Mm, I love it. I love it. I mean, it really strikes me from speaking with you that in the studying of Ayurveda and, and the practice of it, that it's such a personal journey as well, that it's something that you can embody as a practitioner as you're learning and then it seems to infiltrate your whole world because you've you know you've mentioned your family and friends and now you're you're teaching it on a wider wider basis you know what is it in Ayurveda that you think attracts people well certainly for me I was so confused I, I studied human sciences at university which was looking at humans through genetics psychology animal behavior you know all, every way you could look at a human and um, so I thought I, I knew all the answers. And then, and then you start studying nutrition and there's so much gray out there and confusing, conflicting advice. Um, Cause we know we've got so much knowledge, but we've got so little wisdom in a way. So I was drowning in knowledge, but just crying out for a wisdom system to guide. And, and I think that's what Ayurveda provided is there is no one size fits all. Quite often the West loves to come up with, we should all eat breakfast or we should all drink two liters or we should all aim for eight hours sleep. And ironically, quite often those are driven by, by food or beverage companies or PR companies trying to get us to, do, to, to, to buy breakfast cereal or, or get bottled water. But there's a lot of health myths out there. The latest one I came across is we, we need to take 10,000 steps a day to maintain fitness. And there, there's no science to support any of these. So I was crying out for a wisdom system that would just allow me to read and filter all the all the noise out there and work out actually what was going to be best for me and as I say I did have to sort my own health issues out and I think many practitioners and people coming to Ayurveda do want to find that balance themselves um, and and be on some sort of healing journey and then once you've experienced the simplicity um, you you have this enthusiasm bubbling over 
um, to share it with others. And um, for me, I particularly feel that with children. Um, so I've taught children's yoga in primary schools. Um, children are so open and hungry to learn about things like, like herbs and, and food and spices and cooking. Up until about 13, they've just got this enthusiasm that you can tap into. Um, they get a little bit cynical in their teens and are not, not so open. <laughs> Um, but if you can give kids that sense of connection and that, that food can be medicine and, and the wonder of herbs, they've got that for life. And then they go home and, and educate their families. And uh, we did a workshop yeah. where the kids had to make their own little herbal tea bags using um, mint and fennel and rose and licorice. It, it was Pucker Herbs Mint Refresh. And I still get stopped <laughs> by local parents around here from the various primary schools going, oh, Freddie still loves this tea and we have to buy this tea now and he wants to make his own. And so, yeah, so that, that for me is really inspiring. Most of the people on our course are obviously adults, age sort of 20 to, to 70 is, mm. our, is our sort of age range. But we're all lifelong learners, aren't we? Staying open and, and curious into new ways of looking at the world. And as I say, for me, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm burying myself in now in the Western herbal tradition and learning about, you know, phytonutrients because that wasn't a word that ever came up on my Ayurveda degree. It was all about the gunas and dravya guna and, and learning to make these Ayurvedic medicines. So for me, it is, it's bringing it home now. Right, so that's what you've been learning at Hartwood, is it, on this, uh, on this Western Herbal Medicine course? Yes, and, and doing some, some shorter courses. I'm quite inspired by the, the Seed Sisters as well. Um, they're quite inspirational. And Annie McIntyre, her dispensing with tradition, um, because if we, if we can go out and forage and get things locally, uh, that just cuts out on so much transport and cost as well. If, if we can get our herbs for free growing in, a, in an unsprayed field near us, then, then that is probably the most Ayurvedic way to get your herbs. Definitely good to use some local herbs. There's no doubt about that. Is there? And just an opportunity to go out and be in nature and smell the, smell the flowers, basically. And, you know, how are you finding that sort of integration of energetics? You're talking about the herbs, you know, being oily or dry or hot or cold with phytonutrients. Is that something you're finding quite easy to integrate in your thinking? Or has it thrown up any quandaries? <laughs> I think it is a really exciting area because um, we all know we should be eating more fruit and vegetables. But I think just bringing herbs and spices into this agenda... Um, and most people have heard about antioxidants now and, and how they can help prevent free radical damage in the body. But this idea of just getting the diversity of plant foods, so plant-based diets is massive. Um, as we both know, Ayurveda isn't a vegan science um, or even a vegetarian science, although it does um, favour mainly plant-based foods. So that's also really fascinating how it uses meat as a medicine when needed so it's it's so open to every substance in the world being used as a medicine although it also gets the mm. concept of, of karma um, but looking at, at how we all need to eat more plants I love the idea of, of eat something wild every day and I've been trying since about March to do just that uh, so I think for me it does it does make sense yes has that answered your question <laughs> Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's so, so diverse. I mean, you've also made me think that it sounds like in Ayurveda, you've studied to be a nutritionist. You know, there's a lot of food discussed, isn't there? It might perhaps not be in terms of the quantity of uh, B vitamins or, or micronutrients and things like that. But it is an, an overall nutritional view of health. 
Yes, having said all the teachers on my three-year uh, BSc were from India, we did have a Western-trained nutritional therapist coming in, mm -hmm. um, which was really fascinating um, to get that. And I'm glad we did because that really helped complement the, the Ayurveda nutrition guidance. And she was talking about things like omega-3s, and she was a massive fan of ghee, um, clarified butter, which I know you, you and I are both big fans on. Um, I wrote my dissertation on, on ghee, ghee's role at the heart of health and yoga. So this idea of clarifying mm butter to get the the, the, the essence of, of the dairy there. Um, so she was a big fan of ghee and she was looking at Ayurveda nutrition through the Western lens. So, so those were some of our best lectures because modern um, nutritional, the modern nutritional approach is quite confusing the way it's almost got a sort of pharmacist approach to food. Um, and it, it can get almost like a chemistry experiment for some people. It is quite hard to understand all the terms. Um, which is, again, I think, simplifying it through the doshas and saying your food needs to be, you know, warming and, and lightly spicy for vata or cooling and calming for pitta or, or drying and stimulating and less oily for kapha. That, that can really help um, explain in words that people can understand. And, and we know it works and they'll be getting a similar property as perhaps a Western nutritional um, advice. Um, mm. I'm not a big one for fan people taking lots of vitamins and minerals and supplements i think if they could be getting vitamins and minerals through their food um obviously some people do need to take supplements on top but food should be a first port of call and i very much see herbs as the bridge between food and medicine so um i don't mm -hmm. think many people really think that actually five cups of herbal tea a day is contributing towards their phytonutrients or you know the antioxidants in their system and might even be the same as a, a portion of lovely kale and broccoli um <laughs> but that's that's the way it could be going really because we know that infusing herbs in hot water is getting so many um benefits out and something as simple as a, as a cup of tea it is actually enhancing their nutritional status yes well you know we're big fans of that aren't we i mean you know the brilliant work of Professor Tim Spector and all the work being done on the microbiome and how important it is to have diversity in your diet, adding in some simple herbal teas every day, be it ginger, fennel, peppermint, whatever you like, um, is a good way of incorporating some of these benefits, if you like, the energetic principles of the plants as well as their nutritional um, qualities. I, uh, I think it's quite interesting in in a nutritional sense how when you study western nutrition you look at it it's very quantitative in a sense of how much vitamin c you're taking or how much vitamin b um but in ayurveda as well it incorporates this idea of the quality of it and the fact that for example you know vitamin c might be quite sour and therefore acidic and someone that has too much heat in their stomach can often get heartburn for example and so i think there is just a beauty in studying as many of the subjects as one can, but also a responsibility today if one's in clinic um, to, obviously we have to study pharmaceutical drugs because so many clients are taking them as well, um, but to understand nutritional uh, form of supplementation because so many people are taking supplements um, because they obviously haven't come to see you first, Joe, for their top uh, dietary uh, support. And yeah, I just, and I'm, it's great to hear how you've, got on your Ayurvedic journey and then ended up studying Western herbalism as well, because I think that is at the root of Ayurveda is, you know, looking at different systems of well-being, really, you know, what are the roots to to health? And I, I think that although there is a lot of nutrition in Ayurveda, 
and it's very accessible, lots of that, that sort of quantification side needs to be also also addressed because diets can be deficient today, can't they, as we know, or, or digestive systems can be deficient. Do you recommend micronutrient supplements to your patients? I do actually recommend uh, supplements, not to everybody at all, but uh, to lots of clients, yes, because I, you know, the evidence shows that the quality of nutrition in our food is not even, is not there, even if you do have a strong digestive fire and you're eating a super good diet and all the right choices. I think that because of the high levels of antibiotic use, high levels of pesticide use affecting our microbiome, mm. as well as the, you know, 50 years of conventional farming or 70 years or whatever of, you know, plowing the fields without putting back so much secondary nutrients. I do think that's an issue, and particularly for people who've got more degenerative problems where there is, you know, systemic inflammation or, I don't know, something like osteoporosis or arthritis where there's obvious degeneration, then I'd, I'd want to go there. Also, because we can't use minerals over in the West so much, you know, we can't use minerals in our Ayurvedic formulae, whereas yes. in the nutrients, you can use them that way. So you've got access to iron and magnesium, and, you know, some of these things that you'd get through some of the shells and metals, etc. minerals yes. in Ayurveda. I guess that is one of the limitations that quite a lot of Ayurveda is is illegal in the West. Quite a lot of the 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 Javyaguna is not allowed, like the Rasa Shastra. And I'm thinking back. I have recommended um, mineral supplementation for bone healing with fractures and things like that. Yeah. In a way, maybe one should be doing more blood analysis before you recommend lots of supplements to people. It's a bit of a sort of shot in the dark. But um, where it's obvious, and I have studied a fair bit of nutrition in my time as well, so where it's obvious, I do do that. And um, along with that nu nutritional discussion, you know, what are your what are your top tips for helping people's digestion flourish? What do you what do you get everyone to do? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting point because we say we are what we eat, but it's really we are what we can absorb, really, and digest. So someone may be taking a lot of supplements when they come to see me, but have they got the agni, the digestive fire, to absorb and and benefit from that? That's quite an interesting one. Um, I think, gosh, what are the, the Kate and I were talking about three things that we, we really found so helpful for us. For me, I definitely have benefited and people benefit from um, chewing their food a bit slower. I think uh, mm. we can tend to uh, maybe chew once or twice and then swallow, but definitely just slowing down and making mealtimes a calmer, a calmer place can be really, really helpful. Um, reducing raw food, unless you've really got the appetite to digest it um the raw food movement is quite a powerful one and as much as i'm a fan of plant-based diets for most people lightly <laughs> cooking them you don't have to boil them for hours but just a light stir fry or lightly steamed that does make the nutrients more accessible for most people um, so warm cooked nourishing food chewing your food quite well and for most people um, avoiding cold very cold drinks very cold mm. food things at room temperature um, which is where hot teas and, and room temperature liquids are a bit more friendly. Ayurveda isn't a big fan of, of ice, as you know, but there is quite a lot of ice cold food today that people take in and the, the water cooler in the office is, is going to be pretty cold. And it really helps when I explain to people that their body works really hard to maintain itself at 37 approximate degrees. And then you're, you're putting in, you know, liquid at four or five degrees and, and that really affects the internal environment. Mm. And the other analogy that really helps people is, is not snacking between meals because 
Um, we've, we've become such a snacking culture now and people are maybe having 20, 30 food contacts a day, whether it's a milky tea or a drink. The modern research on the migratory motor complex is so fascinating because it shows that our gut needs about four or five hours in between meals, at least four hours to do mini housekeeping. And then it needs, say, 12 hours from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. to do its deep clean. And um, I tell people the washing machine analogy that, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're halfway through your washing in your washing machine and if you could open the door and throw in some dirty socks you wouldn't do that because then you'd have sort of a half clean half dirty wash and it's exactly the same you've had your lunch but you maybe you haven't had a balance of the six tastes so you're still craving something and then you eat an hour maybe an hour or two later and so your food's nearly digested and then you're, you're throwing in the equivalent of the dirty socks and once mm. once people really get that then they stop snacking and then their agony really builds up their digestive fire and then they can benefit much more from the food that they're eating or the herbs that they're taking. I'm sure the concept of eating dirty socks puts people off snacking immediately. <laughs> I, but I love that. I mean, you know, it's priceless gift, all this information you're sharing. It's so, it's so simple, so accessible and so empowering. You know, I think you summed it up really well there. You know, I love, for me personally, you know, the idea of routine just suits me so well in terms of eating patterns and sleeping patterns and this idea of leaving gaps between food you know when you as soon as you think you're hungry often we'll go for a snack but if you have a drink particularly of something warm you know warm water or, or, or warm tea it um it can take away that hunger pang for a, for a little bit and just you know wash your stomach as well you know whilst we're on washing analogies i like the analogy of um using warm water to help your digestion because when you've got a plate that's covered in oil and you wash it with cold water you can see all of that congeals on the plate and doesn't clean as well but when you use warm water it can just wash it off straight away so um uh, obviously many a kitchen metaphor to represent the power of the digestive fire and uh, the the brilliance or in ayurveda and you know, i've loved loved hearing your story joe Obviously, I have the pleasure of working with you as well, which uh, is great. But we don't actually get a chance to chat, perhaps, about some of these things. And I'm I'm so glad you're out there teaching and inspiring people. And yeah, particularly how your you know your your voice and eyes light up when you're talking about educating children. Can you think of anything in the future? Any dreams or hopes? Could we ever envisage you know more? plant knowledge and insights being taught in school <laughs> my friend Chandrika set up the teen yoga trust and on an April Fool's Day she said um, yoga to be part of every school curriculum in the UK and obviously it was her April Fool's it was on Facebook and I was like oh my gosh that's such great news and then I realized it was April Fool's Day but she said one day and I guess similarly it'd be great just to have um, there's a lot more nature reconnection on the curriculum now in this country which is the start for me. Um, the main thing about is just to inspire wonder and awe of, of nature and children, and then the rest will flow. Um, but we do some work, as you know, at Paco with um, the Soil Association and Food for Life, encouraging children to grow herbs in their playgrounds and then pick the herbs and use the mint in their recipes or whatever the herb is. And um, for me, that is closing the loop. They're learning how to grow some food and we all need to be more self-sufficient. They're learning about diversity in nature and pollinators and things like that. And then they're learning about how to use the herbs in cooking. So I mm. think that would be my, my hope for the future is that we can inspire kids in those three areas and, and then they can just have a few tools to look after 
themselves because um, I did not get that. Um, I got algebraic equations and all the rest, but that didn't really <laughs> help me with my self-care. Mm. So I, I think there's quite a lot of work to be done there, but the, the signs are positive. Well, I think the groups, there, there are some great groups in schools, aren't you? The uh, you know, Junior Herbalist Club, uh, the National Institute has. Yeah, and Herb Patch was one. Yeah, Herb Patch in Ireland, they're fantastic. I think it'd be great if people got together and shared their insights and created um, greater access for people, uh, for, the, for our young ones across the, across the whole educational uh, spectrum. So, um, Joe, it's been fantastic. I feel inspired. You've got very lucky uh, students and clients. Thank you for everything you do and for sharing everything today. Oh, it's been really lovely to chat this afternoon. Thank you. You've been listening to The Herbcast the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. We'll learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. We'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining.